If you guys want to, uh, we'll go ahead and, and uh, I'll just give you guys where we're going to turn this morning. We're going to go to Acts 4. That's Acts chapter 4. If you guys want to turn there, I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. Uh, man, what a great service. Uh, excited with um, just the worship time this morning. It started out early for me. Uh, I felt like I'd gotten most of my notes ready last night, but uh, just woke up this morning and felt the urgency to get up and pray, and, and just a beautiful time with the Holy Spirit. It always is so uh, so special, those moments with the Holy Spirit, when we just uh, spend time in His presence. Uh, and just seeing that carry over as I got here today was, was exciting for me. Uh, I don't know why, I'm not normally... Uh, one to, I, I wouldn't say nervous, I'm not nervous, but just something stirring in me this morning, and I'm just going to trust that that's the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to pray uh, that he will help me to communicate the word, his words, not mine, uh, as we start tonight, or start today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. God, we're so blessed to be able to come and gather together as, as your church, as a body of believers. So blessed to have your Holy Spirit here among us, with us, in us. Lord, I thank you for that time this morning. I thank you for the time this morning as we gather as a group of believers in Primeville, Oregon. I pray that you would, that you would touch us, that you would move on us. Lord, that, you would, that your words would be spoken even in spite of me today, Lord. May your truth go forward and may it not just be for our own edification, Lord, but for us to go out from here into a community that needs to hear about hope and about life that's found only in you, about a world that needs to hear your gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I'm uh, just getting started this service this morning. I think it's so funny. Uh, Blaine tries so hard to get you guys to finally come together, and I'm just in the back laughing as I'm watching this unfold, and I thought, man, I got plenty of time to go and get my drink and get everything going. Uh, and sure enough, I'm out there, and, and, uh, and Kimmy uh, Cloud is coming by, and she's saying the same thing. She's like, it's so funny hearing Blaine trying to get everybody together. Uh, but I love that. I just think that's an, a, such a neat testimony to the body of Christ and, and to the love that's in this room. I believe that we are a body of believers who genuinely have love for one another and genuinely enjoy gathering together and that is a, an amazing thing also excited to see all the babies in this room uh i know this week uh this past week we welcomed eliza i had to double check is it lisa or liza to make sure because uh, i thought it was liza but wanted to to uh to not mess up the name as i'm speaking from the pulpit so welcome to baby liza congratulations jake and naomi so excited for you guys uh but just exciting to watch the body of christ also growing, not just in, in, uh, in, the, in the testimony of the believers, but just we're adding so many new kids to this body. It's amazing. Uh, and uh, I know my family has contributed and done its share. We have five. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was exciting for me yesterday uh, in my Facebook feed. Um, you know how the little memories pop up that, that, uh, that happen from time to time. And, and my memory uh, that popped up yesterday was from six days ago. And it was my daughter, Janae. Uh, being baptized and just a special moment for me <clears throat> sorry might even get a little choked up about that uh, but just a special moment for me as I was preparing to teach today uh, and just thinking about uh, how far we've come and, and also at times uh, how quickly 
time passes. And what we do is so incredibly important with the time that we've been given. And so with that, I'll just jump in today. Um, I titled this message, Hashtag Convinced. That was not uh, something that was meant to be trendy or popular. Uh, maybe a little bit with the hashtag on there, but, but really what we're, what we're looking at here is, is this idea of belief. Convinced. And as we see Acts beginning to unfold... Acts is a, is, a, is a really neat book, one of my favorites, and it's, it's a story of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the believers. It's told by Luke, so if you, if you read Luke and then you read Acts, it's like section one, section two. Uh, you know, a lot of us are, you know, are like that. We read a, a good book or we see a good movie and we're like, oh man, I can't wait for, for version two. Well, Acts is version two of Luke. And so Luke, we get to see the story of Jesus and, and, and uh, he goes into incredible detail, Luke does, of telling those stories. And it's, a, it's largely narrative. And, and when you read Luke's uh, account in the gospel of Luke, you see that he says, I'm writing these things to you so you can be certain of the things you've been hearing about, of all these things that have been going on. There's, you know, there's, there's all these stories, and, and, you've, and you've heard about this guy Jesus, and you've heard these things, but I'm writing this to you, uh, Theophilus, so that you can know and be certain of all these things that you're hearing and, and what is true. So Luke goes through great detail and great uh, effort to make sure that what he's recording is, uh, is, is accurate and is well told. And so then we get into, into Acts, and Acts is such an amazing book as we continue to see, uh, some used to call it Acts of the Apostles, but really what we, what we would probably better title that is Acts of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit moving and building the church, and it's a, it's a, it's a really incredible Thing. That's maybe why I like to go back and read it so much. Is, as I look around oftentimes at much of, of, of church culture and, uh, and, and, uh, in, in the West, and, and, and sometimes my, my heart breaks a little bit when I read Acts because I, I can't help but think there's some things that are missing. And one of those primary things that I think is missing in a lot of churches is, is, is the Holy Spirit. You know, many of you maybe have read a, a, a book out there that, uh, I think it was written by Francis Chan, I don't even remember, but I just remember the, the saying that if you, if you were to, uh, you know, take the, and remove the Holy Spirit out of, out of so many of our churches today, would we even notice? And that, that was a convicting thing. And as I thought back to the, to the church that I grew up in, it's, it's very different, uh, or I should say my perspective of church is very different now than it was then, and it's been shaped by... Uh, a lot of experience has been shaped by reading the scripture. And that should be what shapes our worldview. It should be what shapes how we live, how we think, what we know to be true. <laughs> I wrote it on here to keep my introduction short, so we're going to go right there. Uh, but I really believe that we're standing, in a sense, culturally, if nothing else, as a society, at kind of a crossroads, a, a precipice. And, and some might even say, and, and, and I don't know, but maybe to some degree we, we maybe have not just come to the edge, maybe we've gone over, over the edge. Some things are changing rapidly in our culture. And as I look around, it's, it's some of those things that, that have really weighed heavy on my heart. I, I, I don't know if you guys catch the news. Uh, if nothing else, you catch Facebook from time to time. Uh, somebody posted a, a, an article. It was talking about how 56% of Americans do not 
believe that you need to believe in God in order to be moral. And that's, that's a sharp change from just 2011 when it was 49%. So what we've gone is we've, we've shifted from kind of a, you know, a, a so-so idea of, you know, is God really necessary in our culture? Is he really necessary in our society to, to now being where a majority says, no, not really. At least not from that perspective. We, we don't need God in order to be good. In the same week, I saw another one that came through. Said it was talking about millennials and this millennial generation that, that we're that we're uh, we find ourselves in this kind of. I'm right on the border of that. Unfortunately, I don't get to claim millennial status, uh, but I'm right on the border of that. And the only reason I say unfortunately is because I mean I'm a little younger, uh, but I'm not, so I don't get to claim that. But uh, it talked about how so many millennials are turning to uh, astrology and witchcraft. They're, they're leaving religion, but they're exchanging it for astrology and witchcraft. And this article went on to say that, and this is a pretty big shift when you think about it. In 2007, 81% said that, uh, that they never doubted the belief uh, in God, which I find kind of hard to believe, but, but said they never doubted God's existence. But five years later, in 2012, that number dropped from 81% to 67%. That's an amazing shift in five short years. Amazing shift. And of course, you know, we can all look around and see that culture is changing quickly. Changes that used to take a long time are, are compressed. I don't know if it's the digital age. I don't know if it's the, you know, the speed of information. I don't know if it's uh, that, we've, that we've stopped interacting with one another as much as we interact in, 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 the, in this digital communication. But, but shifts in thinking and ways of thinking and culture are, are shifting at much quicker pace. In five years, we're seeing entire generations shift, you know, decisions and things that we used to see in generations uh, shift in five years. That's quick. And something that stood out to me is just as I was walking through this, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. When we look in 1 Timothy, you don't have to turn there. But in 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 4, we're told that the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are, are seared. If we were to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2, and you guys don't have to turn there again, I'll just turn there real quick. Chapter 2, verse 3. It goes on to say, oh, that's not, I'm in the wrong one, I'm in 1 Thessalonians, sorry. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Here we are. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. And if we look at this, we see that the day he's talking about is the return of the Lord and the reveal of the Antichrist, the, the end of days as we would talk about them. It says that that will not come until the rebellion comes first. Some versions say that the great falling away. And if nothing else in our culture, it doesn't mean that what we're seeing is, is that. 
But if nothing else, it just speaks to me. It speaks to my heart as I look around and I see what's happening on a wide scale. If nothing else, we are experiencing a great falling away. I was over at Rory's the other night and we were, we were speaking about, about life and about ministry. And he was sharing some of his past ministry experiences. And he was talking about some of his high school ministry. And man, God did some amazing things. But he was lamenting. That as we've been on Facebook and as we've, we've had time and we've been away from these people and, and we haven't been in each other's lives, he was telling me, I can't believe the number of them that have just fallen away from serving Jesus. Large numbers. And I was sharing him my experience from college. And many of you know I went to a, a small private uh, school for most of it. I also went to Oregon State for a little season. Didn't expect that to be uh, a place where God was to be found on a, you know, by and by a large basis. But I did at a small uh, school that largely was responsibility of, of training up people uh, to be Christian workers or to go out into society in your, in your chosen profession, but with a Christian worldview. And I told him, I said, I had a, you know, an experience where the Lord really showed me uh, that, uh, that many who, who I went to school with were not going to follow Jesus at the time. I won't go into that story. It's a long one. But, uh, but uh, at the time, I just really didn't believe it. I thought, how could that be possible, God? How could it be possible that all of us could be here and we're, we're pursuing you, we're pursuing, many of them are pursuing ministry, going to be pastors and uh, missionaries and other things. How is that possible that, that there could be many who would not be there in heaven when we, when we all meet our, with, you know, together with our Savior? But I can tell you in that, in that time that I have watched again and again and again and again marriages collapse. I've watched friends of mine who, who I went to school with, who I lived in dorm with for four years. We, we, we went to chapel together every day. I've watched them not only uh, you know, fall into apathy, I've watched many of them just completely walk away from God saying, I want nothing to do with this. And I think it's a conservative estimate for me to say that close to 50% of the people that I went to that college with have either one completely walked away from faith entirely or they have adopted a faith that's so carnal that it is impossible to tell the difference between them and the world. Everything they say, everything that's, that's preached, everything that's on Facebook, it lacks biblical integrity but it echoes the world's sentiment and it hurts and it also is a wake up call so as we, as we get into the word today I just want you guys to understand where I'm coming from I, I really believe the Lord's been working in my heart this idea of getting back to basics getting back to simplicity And that includes an understanding and a proclamation of the pure and unadulterated gospel. We need to proclaim the gospel. Our world needs to proclaim the gospel. You know, when I was coming up with the name Convinced, it's also something else that the Lord's just been doing in me. This may speak to me more than it speaks to any of you, but this idea of being convinced, the reality is, is that we will live what we believe both for better and for worse. The things that, that we come to acknowledge as true will have an influence in how we live. As we're looking at Acts 4, it's important, I think, that we step back for a second and we, we just understand what's happening here. 
In Acts 3, Peter and John have gone to the temple and there's a lame beggar. You guys probably know the story. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. The, be- the lame beggar is healed. Jumps up, proclaims, following, just going around following Peter and John through the temple everywhere they go. Peter, of course, takes the opportunity, as Peter always does in these moments, to stand up and give a big sermon. 2,000 people are added to the church. It's a pretty incredible thing. And coming off of that, what we see is a world system, in this case a religious system, that's not very happy. You guys can go ahead and turn to Acts 4. I think we'll go ahead and read it together right now. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're just going to read right through it. We'll do it quick. We've got a lot of ground to cover here. I'm going to make it today. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. So as Peter's preaching his sermon, here come the, the, uh, the religious guard of the day. And they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Notice they weren't just proclaiming uh, healing and the fact that, that, uh, that here, hey, look at this man, he's been healed. They're proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and uh, with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Listen to Peter. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's key, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Now when they saw in the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Kind of quiets the argument, doesn't it? But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they filled their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage 
and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their, heart, their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. We're not going to dive too, uh, too deep. I, I, this is largely narrative, but I, it's, it's important. It's important to understand for us to see because what we're looking at is we're looking at men who were convinced. We're looking at a church that was convinced. You know, one of the voids in the vacuums that this, that this world leaves us, uh, there's, there's two primary ones, there's many more. This is by no means exhaustive. But when we look at the world, one of the things that we're left wanting with, one of these major vacuums that we see in our culture is, is that of truth. So many ideas floating around, so many people talking about solutions, but so little is looked at that has truth. You know, what's interesting is when I, when I, um, when I speak uh, to some of these friends on Facebook that I'm talking about, a lot from college, a lot of them have, have a lot of thoughts and ideas about what's wrong with the world. But the interesting thing is as soon as we go to Scripture, the subject changes or the conversation stops. There's a void of truth. That we as Christians, we need to recognize that as we as parents and uh, as families, we need to recognize that. As we instill, as we're making disciples, we need to recognize that. The other void that's missing is love. A lot of people talk about love. A lot of my friends on Facebook talk about love. They realize that there's a problem. They realize that there's, that there's great division from this person to that person, this idea to that idea. They realize that there's a lot of hatred. They realize that there's, that there's injustice in our culture, in our society. They, they see these things. And they like to talk a lot about love. But one of the interesting things I noticed is that some of those who talk the most about love also seem to have the most hatred in some of their words. So they recognize the problem, but they're powerless to do anything about it. They recognize the problem, but in, in and of themselves... They're hypocrites, and they have no ability to, to be otherwise. So we see these vacuums. We also see some traps. You know, one of the traps that exists is a lack of eternal perspective. 
And that has a lot of consequences, multiple consequences. We won't, we won't go into that, but, but suffice to say, it, it, it's a very now focus. What's right in front of me? What's here? What's, what can I obtain? What can I do? What am I walking through? All these things, me, 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 me. Very little focus on the bigger picture. And by the bigger picture, meaning eternity, an eternal perspective. The other trap that we can fall into or that, uh, that many fall into is a focus on symptoms, not underlying disease. You know, we can look around. We can see racism. We can, you know, a lot of people throw around the, the idea of, of privilege. And we, we have to acknowledge that those things exist. Racism, privilege, injustice, these, these, aren't, these aren't made up. These things exist, but it's so easy for us to become focused on that. It's so easy for us, and the world just says, well, do better, get better, be better. But that's like putting the cart before the horse. We can't, just, we can't just tell a man to be better and expect that suddenly that's the way that it works. Okay, I'll be better. How has that worked out for you? How has that worked out for me? How has that worked out for a culture, our society, our world that we find ourselves in? If the, if the answer was just simply be better, well, we'd already be better. We'd be in a better world. We'd be in a better society. We, we, we wouldn't see these things. And when we didn't identify them, they'd be gone. The other trap that we can fall into is believing lies over truth. And what this brings is, is two things, probably more than that, but it brings confusion for one. When, when we're not solidly grounded in the truth, when truth isn't, isn't where we're starting from, then, then everybody's just running around and nobody really has an answer. Nobody really knows what to do. It creates confusion. And the second side of that that we know is it creates hardness of heart. When, when we turn away from truth and we accept and exchange that for a lie, Romans tells us that when we stop worshiping God and we exchange that for anything else, what ensues is, is going to be hardness of heart. And that's what we see, is it not? As we go out, as we see all the things, that we see these interactions, we see those who used to call themselves friends hardly able to be civil with one another. Such a hardness of heart. And one of the other traps that we can easily fall into is that there's misdirected solutions and hope. <laughs> I wrote, a, I wrote a, a, an example here. I don't want to actually say, uh, <laughs> I'll just generalize it here. Uh, a friend of mine, and actually multiple friends of mine, and I'll just preface this by saying it's nobody in this congregation, okay? So you don't have to worry. I'm not talking about you, okay? Uh, but I saw some friends of mine on Facebook who I've known for a very long time. And, uh, and they were just talking about, you know, I, this, this thing, it's going to revolutionize your life. It's, you know, it's, uh, you know I, I'm just uh, amazed and, and this and this and this and just going on and on. And I'm waiting for the end of it to be Jesus. And it's not. <laughs> it's this product it's this solution we live i don't know how many of you and, and i'm not and i'm not saying it's not a, it's it's a bad thing to be out there selling products and, and doing you know we're that's not the point but the point was is that that became this big buildup of this will change your life and i'm waiting for the punchline of it because i know who they are i know they're believers i know that god has done some amazing things in their life so i'm waiting for jesus and it's not it's something else entirely and the focus is on more money, a better lifestyle. What would you do if you were just free? 
If you didn't have to worry about this, if you didn't have to worry about money, if you didn't have to... And that is the thing that consumes and captures us. It's done it to me, it will do it to you. If we're not careful. Those are misdirected solutions. Be better is a misdirected solution. Putting hope and faith in the brotherhood of man is a misdirected solution. So, what does that mean for us as believers, as Christians? It means that as believers, as disciples, we have to come at this with a renewed mind. Paul tells us in Romans 12, too, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What we don't want to be is, is like those who are ever learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And that was the thing that, that, that the Holy Spirit kept directing back to me, coming back to this idea of simplicity, coming back to this idea of the unadulterated gospel. We already have the answer. And if the answer doesn't end, begin and end at Jesus, it's not the answer. And I think that that's one of the things that's broken my heart as I've looked down and I've looked at these friends that I went to school with, and, and I am not kidding when I say 50%. I think that might even be a conservative estimate. They've traded the truth of God for a lie. And because of that, it seems like many of them are, are at that place where they're ever learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. So if we were to look at some characteristics of of convinced people, and especially the disciples. We, we've, we've already talked about what happened, the event that led up to this, and we, then we've just read, so, so, uh, so Peter and John are brought before this religious council. They're told not to do this. And this isn't, this isn't a message on persecution. This isn't a, there's not one particular thing. What we want to look at is what is, if we're observing, if this is a narrative, if Acts is a narrative and we're observing what's going on here, these are guys who are absolutely convinced. You know, when we read the stories of Paul, we're reading, and we all recognize it too, don't we? How could Paul endure that? How could he go through that? How could he continue? How? Because he was convinced and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how. It has to start and end with Jesus, just like it does for these guys. You know, these disciples, Peter, John, they walked with Jesus. They saw in the miracles. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They watched. And they, by the time that they ever got to the lame man uh, at the temple gates, how many times do you think that they saw Jesus touch somebody, heal somebody? I believe the Gospels are just a, a picture. Uh, uh, you know, John even tells us as much. He says, man, if you could, uh, if you could write everything that Jesus did, I, I suppose there's not a book in the world that could, could contain it all. It couldn't contain all the things that he did. So, so we got to look at that and say it's probably just a, a small picture of, of all things. So, so Peter and Paul probably witnessed hundreds, if not thousands, of miracles in their time with Jesus. And then he tells them, he charges them, he's like, go and you are going to do these exact same things. So by the time they meet the, the, the beggar at the temple, I don't think there was really much doubt in, Paul, uh, I'm sorry, in Peter or John's mind. That God wasn't going to just do exactly what he'd been doing the whole time that they were walking with him. These were convinced men. 
they also believe that the gospel is the answer. Do they not? Every time, we just, we already talked about it, Peter, every time there's an opportunity, every time God does something, every time he's given even a sliver of a window, he's ready to preach and proclaim the gospel. And he's not just preaching, look at all these signs and wonders. He just starts preaching Jesus and Jesus crucified. Man, if there is ever clarity that needs to be brought to our culture, this, you know, whatever we want to call it, you used to be, we'll call it post-Christian culture, it's getting back to this. And as much for those who have walked away from the faith as it is from those who have never come to it. We need to be able to proclaim that. We need to be able to, to voice that as we go and as, as we feel very strongly charged uh, that, that our mission is to make disciples then we have to believe and proclaim that the gospel is the answer. When I get in, in, in some of these conversations on Facebook, and most of the time I welcome them, sometimes they get a little bit uh, frustrating, <laughs> to say the least. But I'll just keep coming back to that. It's Jesus. The answer isn't, isn't birth control. The answer isn't these other things. It's Jesus. Oh, that's too simple. You're too simple-minded. Okay. That's, I'm all right with that. If, if, if Jesus is the beginning and the end and he's the answer, then you can go ahead and call it simple. I believe it is the only answer. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not opportunities for us to do practical things, for us to be able to, uh, to go into and to do good acts. In fact, the Bible tells us we're, we're given good works in advance to do, but those good works are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. He is the end. The other thing that we see about convinced people, and I put this in, in, quote, in quotation marks, unqualified, right? Unqualified people become effective for the kingdom. You don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to have uh, deep, intensive Bible study in order to start being effective for the kingdom. The question is, what are you doing with what you already have? You know, when we talk about that and we, we talk about this idea uh, that we can be ever learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth, I believe that's something that's, that's very uh, easy for us to do in our culture. Man, if I could just get that one next Bible study, read that, that one book, that one thing that's going to finally click, that's going to get it there, and we become, in, it's easy for us to fall into that pattern. Uh, it, it, and and entire, an entire church culture, it's easy to fall into that. But one of the things that's just startling to me as I'm, as I'm talking to our ministry partners as we go, uh, and, and Blaine talked about, we got the missions teams that go to Nepal as we have ministry partners in Uganda. What we see is that God is moving in powerful ways, and they don't even know what it looks like to quote-unquote do church until we kind of come over there and maybe, unfortunately, westernize it a little bit too much sometimes. But they get the gospel, and they read it, and they, they go, man, i got to go tell people about this. Heard a story out of Uganda. You guys aren't, aren't privileged to be able to, to go to our monthly uh, ministry meetings for Redeemer Ministries. But, but uh, there is a, a Muslim believer who just recently got saved. And actually he's just one of, of many. That the Holy Spirit's just moving in power. And he got saved. And, and, and he called up his, his, uh, his mom. And he said, Mom, this incredible thing happened. And you know, I want to tell you about it. She's like, let me gather the family together. And we'll gather the people from the village. You come and you tell us all. How cool is that? He's barely been saved, but, you know, but a couple months, and, and, and God's given him an opportunity to go. And they're in such need of discipleship. They're in such need, and they crave it. They want it. But they don't just want to learn. They want it because they're already going, and they want to be more equipped. See, we have the opposite problem. We're, we're unwilling to go, and we say, equip me, equip me, equip me, right? That happens so much. 
And I, and I think that, again, is just a product of our culture. We're, we're a knowledge-based culture. We want to know. We want to know. But that's not the pattern that we see in the New Testament. We see when Jesus casts the, the demons out of the, uh, out of the man across the, as he goes across the, uh, uh, the, the water and, uh, to the Gadarenes, and, and, and there's a, there's a demon-possessed man. And, and he casts the demons out of him, and the, and the man's like, I want to go with you, I want to go with you. Jesus is like, no, 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 stay here, start telling people what I've done for you. The pattern is that as we become disciples, we're going to go, and that's actually part of it, is they understood uh, their mission. You know, it's not, it's not a complicated thing. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe we make it more complicated than it needs to be. But at the heart of it, it's, it's pretty simple. Jesus came. He lived a life none of us could live. He died and provided us a life none of us could have otherwise. He did away. It's a, it's a message of good news. It's a message of hope. And then he told them, go. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Go. So as disciples, we can look at that. We can look at the pattern of these disciples in Acts. We can look at the call. We understand that our call is to go. For some of us, that will, that will be going to Nepal. For some of us, that will be waking up and going to work tomorrow. You know, my wife uh, just recently started substitute teaching. And, uh, and she is, is absolutely loving it. But the week before, she was in knots. She was just nervous. She was, I don't know if I can sleep. I don't know if I'm, if I'm ready for this. And just to preface that, since... since We've lived here in Primeville. She actually hasn't had to, uh, had to have a job. The Lord's just, just, uh, just uh, made, it that, made it work out that way. So she's, this is her first time back at work in, in basically nine years. And I don't know about any of you, but taking, you know, taking that step, that's a pretty big step. And she was really worried about it. My grandmother uh, heard that she, uh, probably because she talked to my mom, who talked to my grandma. <laughs> but my grandma called her, and it was one of the most incredible things. She called her, and she said, Stephanie... I hear you're going out to be a light in the community. Not, hey, I hear you're, you're going back to teach. That's awesome. I was a teacher. You're going to do great. These are your giftings. Oh, you know, God's going to work through you. Don't worry. Stephanie, I hear you're going to be a light in the community. Every one of us is given that opportunity every single day. And every one of us, there are people all around us that need us to take that opportunity. Just real quickly here, I'm just going to name a couple of these other off for sake of time. You know, believers pray. We see that in the, in the early church in Acts. They pray. They gather together. They pray. You notice that it's becoming kind of a, more of an emphasis lately in our, in our church. You hear us talk about pray in the polls and getting together, gathering. We pray. They're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. As we see and we read in here, we see that they... Uh, near the end of the chapter that we read that they just were abounding in love. None of them had need. It said not a need, uh, there was not a needy person among them. What an incredible testimony of love that is. And they're moved to action. Those are the, those are the pictures, of, those, are the, those are some of the characteristics of, of convinced people, of convinced believers. Just real quick here, and I, I, for the sake of time, I'm going to breeze through these. But there's also some benefits, is there not? You know, one of the things, one of the primary things we see here is that, is that when they're confronted by the Pharisees and by the Sadducees, they say, we, you know, you're telling us to be quiet, and you're going to have to judge between God and you whether that's okay. But as for us, we can't help but speak what we've seen and heard. In other words, <laughs> we're going to obey God rather than men. 
You know, in Galatians, Paul tells us the same thing. He says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let me give you one quick summarized statement here that I think will sum it up quickly. You can't please the world. So stop trying. By that, I'm not saying don't love. By that, I'm not saying be a jerk. <laughs> that would be the opposite of what we're called to do as disciples. But, but we cannot live in partnership with, with loving the world. And by loving the world, I'm not talking about lo- loving the people in the world. I'm talking about loving the world, being, being attached, so attached to this world, which is passing away. You're not going to be able to please the world. Stop trying. You know, we see this, and I, you know, I'll preface this. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of, of Joel Osteen. Some people are, some people aren't. That's not the point. But one of the things we saw when, the, when hurricanes and, uh, uh, ravaged Texas was, man, the world that loves you one day will turn on you in a second. The world does not, is not pleased by God. And in fact, the things that under... If, if we just look at what the Bible says, we understand that the forces at work, not the people, but the forces at work underneath that, this worldly concept that we're talking about, it's not governed, it's governed by a demonic realm. It's governed by darkness. So it's always at, at enmity with light. So if you're going to, to purpose in your mind that you're going to speak truth, that you're, going to, uh, that, you're, that you're going to follow after God, expect that you will get pushback whenever that, that encroaches upon the enemy's territory. And again, I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the enemy of the soul. You know, we see Paul, Peter and John answered them. What is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. We can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. That's our calling as well as disciples. We must speak. We must obedient, be obedient to God rather than men. The other benefits that, so, so freedom, in case you didn't pick up on that, freedom. You know how freeing it is to not be chained to what people think about you. There's great freedom in saying, I'm going to follow God at all costs. And, it's, and what you say and what you do is not going to stop me. It's not going to be a roadblock in, in where I'm going and where God has called me to go. It helps us to live with extreme clarity and purpose, focused on what God's called us to do. And what is that? It's the ministry of reconciliation. That's what, that's what Peter and John are doing here. They've been given a, an opportunity and they preach the gospel. They tell people about Jesus, that he died, that he rose again. 2,000 people were added that day to the church. You know, in 1 Corinthians, we, we, we wonder what that is. Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, for the, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. In other words, we are convinced of this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's, that's us, right? If we're going to cl- take that, that mantle and claim to be believers, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gives us the exact purpose right there. He came to reconcile the world 
and now through us, we are helping him reconcile those who do not know him. That's what we do. That's what, that's what disciples do. He's making, it goes on to say, he's making his appeal through us. Paul was convinced of that. As he went from place to place, beating to beating, sometimes went through small periods of time where he wasn't facing tribulation. All of that was done because he was convinced. In Philippians, he tells us, man, I count everything I had as just now as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That's being convinced. And the last thing that, that I put on there is, is stability. You know, there's a stability that comes from truth. When we have a, a standard, when we allow this, the scripture, the word of God to define how we live and what is true and who is true, then, it's, then we have something by which to navigate these conversations because it's getting more complex. You know, the way that I'm raising my, my daughters, Janae and Julie are here today, the way that I'm raising my daughters is a lot different than my parents raised, raised me. And, and, they, and it wasn't that they, you know, it's just looking around and seeing that <laughs> there's such a need for us to, to, to make sure that our kids understand truth, to make sure that our disciples that we're making understand truth. I, I lied. There's a couple more on here. <laughs> Not intentionally. Uh, there's also impact. You know, these guys, you know, when you become fully convinced, just as Peter and John were, then you're going to make an impact. Now, we're not talking about magnitude of impact, but you, uh, some of us will, will impact the world in seemingly small ways, but we don't understand what God has in those. You know, it's not for us to judge who's, whose impact is greater than another. But we will be people who make an impact on those around us in the world that we're living in. We'll have hope and we'll be dependent upon God. So I close, I'm going to have the worship team come, come up. I told you guys we'd get through this. You know, one of the things that, that inevitably comes up in this is, is, well, what is this, you know, how do we do this, right? How do we become convinced? I think we already read one verse that talked about we need to be people of, of a renewed mind. Well, where does that come from? I'm going to give you a couple different things. You know, first of all, it comes from spending time with one another in discipleship. It comes from spending time in the Word. Time alone with Jesus, praying. Discipleship and prayer are key to this. But I can, I can speak from personal experience that it was when I became convinced of some of these things that were true, it became because I was dwelling on them. I didn't always necessarily understand them. I didn't, wouldn't necessarily say that I would believe them. I started asking the questions, if this is true, what are the implications for that? And believe me, if these things are true, there are implications for our life. But there's one other ingredient that we see that even Peter and John understood. And that's that we need, you and I cannot do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the interesting thing is, you know, we look at the end of the disciples' life. We, we, I'm sorry, Jesus' life. Right before he ascends, the disciples too. But we see Jesus, and we see him giving commands, and he walked with them for 40 days. And again and again and again, he, he instructs them what to do. And a lot of it's the commission, but I find it really interesting. These guys spent time with Jesus. They saw all the miracles. They, they saw him literally raised from the dead. And yet he still tells them there's one more thing. You need to go and you need to wait 
in Jerusalem. And he told them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, Jesus even recognized it that with all of those things that they were given, with every sign, every wonder, every experience, even seeing Jesus from the dead, they still needed, in order to be effective, the Holy Spirit. And we do too. We need the Holy Spirit. As we go and, and we look here, as we, as we wrap this up and see Acts 4, and we, and we look and we see that they came back and they shared with the church. This is, this is what happened. And what does the church do? They get together and they pray. And they say, God, keep doing these things. Keep, keep uh, stretching out your hand, doing signs and wonders, healing, doing these things. And then it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the ground that they were standing on was shaken. And that gives me a picture of something. That gives me a picture that we need to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about the sealing of the Holy Spirit and you know, our salvation. I'm talking about we need to constantly be in the presence of God. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to recognize that we need it. And we need to ask for it. In fact, Jesus himself says, you know, if you like to, to uh, as, as earthly fathers, give good gifts to your children, how much more does your father want to give you the Holy Spirit? The key is simply to ask. So what's one of the practical things that we can do as, as we leave here today? We can ask. We can recognize that there's a mission, and I don't know about you, but these are just things. If we become convinced that there's a mission, and maybe that it's never been more clear. You know, Jesus tells these guys, you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. And we've gone from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. But more than ever, it's clear. It's why we go to Nepal. It's why we go to unreached Muslims in Uganda. It's why we go to these places. It's because that there are still some that need to hear. You know, we hear that word privilege thrown around a lot. And, and I'm not denying that, there is, that there's privilege. There's privilege that exists in every culture, in every society. But the Lord just convicted my heart and, and he said, yes, there's privilege. But maybe the greatest injustice is that there are those who have never heard the gospel. And you guys have. And they need to hear it. And they need to go. That's, that's one of the greatest injustices is that there are so many who die without ever hearing the gospel. That, my friends, is, 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 is bad privilege. When they don't have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And last but not least, we can live as if Jesus is coming back soon. You know, I had a... Um, and I'll close with this, honestly. <laughs> a friend who said, you know, do you think that, that Jesus is coming back soon? There was, you know, he's just looking at all the stuff going on. You know, we've got tornadoes. We've got earthquakes. We've got, you know, people hating one another. We've got a shooting in Las Vegas. We've got all these terrible things going on all the time, constantly around us. And he said, do you think that this is, that this is it? Do you think Jesus is coming back? And my response is always, yes, I think Jesus is coming back. And I believe he's coming back soon. Is this it? I don't know. I don't know. But that's not what's important. It's, it's, it's not whether we know or not. You know, we see that the disciples, as convinced men, lived and, and they believed that in their lifetime they were going to see Jesus. Keeping our eyes squarely fixed on him. I said it begins and it ends with Jesus. That is one of the ways that we can, that we can be convinced. As we walk through life and we see the hand of God move, does that not build faith in us? When we go to Nepal and we hear these, these stories of people being healed, does that, not, does that not build faith? As we continue to abide in Him, does that not build faith? We need to renew our minds. 
Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, for the fact that you are bringing clarity to us as a church. I wanted to speak on a couple other things just out of time today, Lord, but understand that you are calling us to be a church that's focused on discipleship and making disciples. And Lord, it begins first and foremost with every one of us in this room being convinced of, just like Peter and John, of who you are. That's where it starts. Are are you really God? Did you really come and die and give your life to be raised again? If we're convinced of that, that's where this begins. In fact, everything else that we do has to flow from that. Are you convinced that what the Bible says is true? Because if it's not... If you're not convinced of that, then the world and its arguments will sound plausible at times and you'll become confused. God, may we be a church that is convinced that your word is true. And may we be convinced of your leading that as you've called us to be disciples and to make disciples, Lord, that might cost us something. I believe it's going to cost us the approval of of men. And I think for some of us that's scary. But Lord, may we find freedom when we're determined and convinced that it is better to obey man than it is to or to obey God than it is to obey man. You've 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 given us this picture of Jesus. You've given us your word. God, I believe And I'm saying that for me. Maybe it's for no one else, but I believe that that is true. And because of that, God, I want to be a disciple. Lord, may we be a church that's convinced that prayer is powerful. May we be, Lord, more more concerned with pleasing God you than pleasing others. God, I believe prayer is powerful. I want us to be a church that even if we never see a healing happen, that we're not afraid to pray. We're not afraid to ask you to do the impossible. God, I'm convinced that you do. And I know that there are people in this room that have, that have experienced your healing touch. So this isn't really even a question for me. But I'm, I'm speaking maybe to that person today that doesn't, that doesn't believe that or maybe doubts whether that's true. You know, there's one thing we can be certain of. If we're not willing to, to come and, and pray and believe in healing, we're probably never going to see it happen. But God, may we be a church that, that believes that your word tells us that you 
do move in the miraculous. That when there are mountains in our life that need to be moved, not just, not just healing, God, but things that we're facing, that we can come and we can call upon the elders and we can call upon one another to pray and lay hands on one another and that you will move. God, I pray that we would be convinced of that. As we move into this new season of discipleship, Lord, of a new emphasis on, on times of prayer, I just pray that you would even be preparing us now uh, as believers who are here, who are gathered, to make a priority for those things, to make a priority for discipleship, Lord, to sacrifice things that we may see as costly for the surpassing worth of knowing you, for the surpassing worth of, uh, of being the church, Lord, and, and being an impact on this community, to being an impact on people who need to hear you, on people who need to be discipled. And Lord, I believe that you're going to send out people from this body to go. Lord, some are going to go across the world. Some are going to, call, are going to go to new ministries and, and things that you've called them to do. Maybe in new towns, new communities. And Lord, some of us are going to wake up tomorrow and we're going to go to work. And that's the mission you've called us to. But every person who calls themselves a disciple, I believe that you are going to send us out to be salt and to be light. Lord, I pray that you, will, that you will help us to be convinced of these things. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. Lord, your Holy Spirit is so powerful. We need it. And I pray that you would give it to every believer who asks you, even right now, and Lord, I'd be remiss if I didn't, didn't even just say, maybe there's, there's some here who, I don't, know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know everybody in this room. Many of you I do, but I don't get to necessarily live day in and day out with each of you. But maybe there's that one who's just <laughs> struggling. You see the world system and it's failing and it's broken. And maybe today would be the day that you become convinced that Jesus is the answer. May that happen, Lord. May that happen for us even as nominal Christians who are just going about our day, are going about the, the, the life's pattern, the pattern of this world. And we're not even living day to day thinking about the bigger picture. God, for us, open our eyes, awaken us. I thank you, Lord, that you are doing a work in this church, that you've called us to more than just being an event, a place to gather on Sunday. And then to go about the rest of our week as, as we just wait for the next one to roll around. Help me be convinced, Lord. Help those who are, who are here to be convinced. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.